uh, to start a new summer series. And so uh, typically in the summer, what, what most churches seem to do is, is do a series of messages that are kind of standalone because we assume that it's going to be a slightly different group of people every week. And so you might be here this week and then gone for two weeks and then maybe back for week four or whatever. That's totally fine this summer. You're welcome, obviously, to uh, check in online and listen to the messages there. But don't feel like if you haven't checked in on the, the messages, like you can't come in three weeks' time uh, because it, each message will stand on its own. And, and what we've got this, uh, this summer, instead of, I think in the past, we've looked at Proverbs, we've looked at Psalms, we've done kind of some of the obvious ones. This summer, we're, we're looking at the parables or some of the parables that Jesus told. These are stories, little short stories that Jesus told. And the name of the series is Ears to Hear. Ears to Hear. And the thing about uh, the stories that Jesus told is that it's, it's common knowledge, right? Everybody seems to know that Jesus was a storyteller. He was a good, effective storyteller. And so what people think that means is that when Jesus told stories, they were easy to understand. But actually, when you start looking, even though these stories are about everyday things like fishing and farming and building, just kind of really straightforward concepts in that culture, it's not just the case that, okay, there's a story about some sheep or there's a story about some, some fish. We get it. We understand it. Actually, what was often happening was that Jesus was speaking this message so that those who had ears to hear were hearing what he was saying. That is, those who were kind of on his wavelength, people who understood who he was or that were leaning in, as we often say, leaning in to what Jesus was saying, they would get it. But those who were kind of listening maybe skeptically or, or, or through, uh, you know, their own kind of perspective that was, you know, don't really trust this man, they couldn't hear what he was saying. They, they'd hear the fish bit or the, the sheep bit or the building bit, but they wouldn't get the point. And so Jesus' stories, although they were simple, they were spoken for people who had ears to hear, people who wanted to understand what Jesus was saying to them. And we, of course, want to be a church with ears to hear. We don't want to be kind of sitting here perplexed. And so hopefully that will be the case. As we go through these next five weeks, we're going to look at five of the stories that Jesus told, and we're going to discover that, yeah, they're short, they're simple, but actually they're quite powerful. They say something often that, that packs a punch, that makes a real difference to the way that we live our lives. And so today we're going to turn to Luke chapter 6. If you have one of the church Bibles, uh, that is on page 863, Luke chapter 6. And all five of the parables we're going to look at are in Luke's gospel. Some of them are also in Matthew as well, and uh, there may be one or two that are in Mark. But we're just going to stick in Luke and just kind of see Luke's uh, presentation of these five parables. And this one is such a simple parable, it's so painfully obvious what it means that actually a lot of books, even books on parables, skip it. They, they almost treat it as if it's like, well, that's so obvious, we don't need to talk about that one. But what we find actually is that for some of us, it's easy to miss the point of a parable that actually is quite simple if you look at what it says. So let me read it to you, and then we'll discover whether you are of the uh, the, the miss the point crowd or the, well, it's obvious it, it is what it says crowd, okay? And I'll, I'll tell you that it might not be uh, those who, um, who you might expect that get it right. So uh, Luke 6, starting at verse 46, right at the end of the chapter. Let me just read these four verses to you. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
and do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Quite a simple story, right? Two men, two houses. It's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, I'll, I'll fill it out a little bit, but basically there's not much more to say. There's two men, and they each build a house. And maybe they had the same architect. Maybe they went to the same uh, construction firm to get all the, the, the supplies, building supplies that they need. Maybe they rented the same equipment. Maybe the houses were identical in terms of floor plan and square footage and number of bathrooms. We don't know any details. But what we do know is that there are two men with two houses and there is one difference between the two houses. The, the first man, he dug down into the ground. He dug and he dug, and that's hot work, I would imagine, never done it, but he dug down into the ground until he got down to the rock. And once he got to rock, then he built a foundation that was footed on the rock and then the house on top of the foundation. But then there's the second man. The second man just built the house. No foundation, just right there on the ground. Looks good to me. Let's go for it. And he went for it. And when you compare the two, they could look identical. They could be exactly the same house made of the same materials to the same specifications. But it's obvious, isn't it? I don't want to insult anyone here if there is a builder in the room, but I would imagine that quite a number of us have got as much building experience as I have, which is absolutely none. And yet, even with absolutely zero building experience, we don't really need an explanation of what's going to happen, do we? If you build a house that's got a foundation that goes down to solid rock, it's going to be a different outcome than if you just plant a house on top of some soil. It's obvious, isn't it? It's so obvious that when Jesus told it, he wasn't telling it to instruct people on building. It wasn't like they were going, oh, that's a good insight, Jesus. You know, I'm thinking of building a house. I'll keep that in mind. Everybody would go, come on, that's obvious. We all know that. But the problem we have is that even though we have zero building experience, many of us, and we totally get what Jesus is saying instantly, as soon as he, as soon as he gives the two examples, we know what's happening. Actually, the point he's making, I would suggest that most of us can get wrong all the time. Now, we've got no experience of building, but we get it. But actually, Jesus isn't talking about building. He's talking about living. And we live all the time, right? Day after day. And day after day, if you're anything like me, you do the crazy thing that the second guy did, according to this story. Now, what is the story actually about? I, I said before that there may be two groups of people here, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what the two groups are. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to ask anybody to admit which group they're in or anything like that. So this is totally for our own benefit, okay? But this is how some of us could get this wrong and some of us could get this right. If you grew up in the church and you grew up going to Sunday school 
and you grew up singing the songs, then there's a good chance you got this wrong. Anyone remember the song about this? You know, the wise man built his house upon the rock and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. It's based on Matthew 7, but it's basically the same story. And the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm and the house on the sand fell flat. So far, so good. And then there's another verse. And it says, so build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then for the chorus, it talks about blessings coming down while prayers go up. It's like, a, it's like a smorgasbord of theological confusion. The problem with that song, once you get to that last part, is that it totally misses the point of what the story's saying. The story's not saying build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ, although that's good advice. What's it saying? The other group of us, maybe those of you that didn't grow up going to Sunday school with all the advantages that you perceive there may have been in that, you have the advantage of saying, well, it's obvious, isn't it? It it tells us in verse 46 and 47. When Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man who builds a house with a good foundation. But, verse 49, the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds without a foundation. It's nothing to do with building your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. It it plainly says, you've got to do it. You've got to do what Jesus says. It's as simple as that. And so, what is it to be wise and what is it to be foolish we want to use those terms in, in this case. What is it to be wise to have your life built on something solid? Simple. You do what Jesus says. And if you want to be foolish, you hear what Jesus says, but you don't do it. And that's why I say that I'm no builder, but I get the building analogy. But I live every day, and how often am I over on this side in the things that I do? How often do I know what Jesus has said, and yet I don't do it? It's crazy, isn't it? And so I want us to think about that. There's no great surprise in the story. There's not much more we can say about the story itself. There's no kind of clever insights in terms of the Greek or anything like that. It's just, it is what it is. I suppose the one thing I do want us to notice is that Jesus uses the word when, not if, in terms of the stream, the the floods rising and the the stream breaking against the house. He doesn't say, you know, if things don't go well, if there's a problem in the future, if things don't play out the way you anticipate, then you could have trouble. He doesn't say that. He does say when, doesn't he? He anticipates that there will be floods. There will be pressures on our lives. In another place, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Don't don't panic. He then said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So he's not just kind of a moaner complaining and saying, oh, the world's a terrible place. No, he's saying, no, you're going to have trouble, but I've overcome the world. Keep close to me. And in this place, he's saying, you are going to have floods that rise up and crash against your house, that break over the riverbanks and bring all sorts of problems to the life that you're living. I did notice one thing when I was uh, researching this, that in Jerusalem, uh, you know, you know, Jerusalem, but in Jerusalem, they have the same annual rainfall as London. That just seems relevant to mention today. You know, just our capital city, their capital city, same annual rainfall. The difference is theirs is compacted into one-sixth of the time 
So where we get this little, you know, silly drizzle stuff, they're used to major, major rain. And with major rain, you get major sudden flows and rushes and surges and rivers bursting their banks and so on. When Jesus is speaking about when the streams rise and when the stream comes against the house, no one would be surprised by that. And that's true in life for all of us, isn't it? The fact is that our lives are going to be battered. There are going to be difficult moments. There are going to be circumstances, things that we don't expect. A phone call and everything just suddenly changes. A doctor says, oh, you need to sit down for this, I'm afraid. Suddenly, we can go from everything's coasting along and cruising nicely and on cruise control, and all of a sudden, the bottom can just fall out of our life and its circumstances. Something that happens to us or to someone near us in terms of health, in terms of finance, in terms of work. And if, if you've lived for more than 10 minutes, you know this is true, right? That life gets a bit of a battering. And when it does, Jesus says, it's going to reveal whether you've built on a solid foundation or whether you've built on soil. And to build on a solid foundation is to do what Jesus says to do. And so very simply, what I want us to think about is really two questions. What does Jesus tell us to do? We're, we keep referring to doing what he says, but what does he say? And so I want us to think about that for a little bit. And then I want us to think about why. We often can try to go there at Trinity because the passage on the surface is, is all about the what. But it's always good to drill down a bit and to, to ask, yeah, why? What's the motivation that's here in this passage? What's the, the motivation that should be here in our lives? Like, where does that motivation come from? It's all very well to say, yeah, you've got to do this, but why? And so what does Jesus tell us to do and why should we do what this story tells us to do? So first of all, what does Jesus tell us to do? The interesting thing that I forgot to mention really is that this little parable is actually the conclusion of a whole sermon. Okay, so Jesus had been preaching, and in Matthew's gospel, there's a famous Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, 7. You get all this, you know, starts with the Beatitudes, and it ends with this story. This is his concluding kind of punchline. And in Luke, in chapter 6, it's the same material kind of squished down, and it's just, about, just over half a chapter, but it's, it's, a, it's a sermon. It's a summary of Jesus' teaching. And at the end of his sermon, at the end of his teaching, he said, let me tell you about two men that wanted to build a house. One built with a good found, one didn't, and things turned out different. So, so the story that he's telling is a conclusion to a sermon that he's preached. So what has he said in the sermon? It's actually fairly straightforward stuff. It's typical Jesus, right? It's kind of radical. It's, it goes against our, our, our nature. It goes against the way we automatically think and the, the way we normally function. But he talks about things like, okay, what should you do then when someone's against you? You're at work or at school or maybe even in your family or certainly on the, the football field or something. Somebody's against you. And they're, they're going out to hurt you or to, to put you into a bad spot. What's your response to that? I, I tell you, your response should be to do good to them, to, to bless them, to pray for them. All of that stirred from love. Love, do good, bless, and pray. Got it? Okay, that's instruction. And then he goes on a bit more. And then he says, okay, um, basically in every situation, what I want you to do is treat others the way you want them to treat you. 
Okay, you got that? Okay, good. Now, I want you to be forgiving. So when, when someone does something to hurt you, I don't want you to bear a grudge. I don't, want to, I don't want you keeping a list of wrongs either on paper or in your mind or your heart. I don't want you kind of carrying around this grudge thing that we're so good at as humans. I want you to forgive. And I want you to be generous. And I don't want you to be generous just to people that will be generous back because that's kind of rubbish generosity, isn't it? I want you to be generous to people who cannot pay you back. Last week at the weekend away, we had a, a little discussion session, and one of the discussions was about hospitality uh, and, and kind of how, as a church, our hospitality for one another is, is really a reflection of our view of God. And it was a good conversation. Afterwards, my dad told me of two places, two instances he knows the same thing. I couldn't believe it even happened once. He knows two places where, get this, this is ridiculous, you've got a single person and a couple. All right, let me see if I can get this the right way around. So the couple are invited over to the single person's house for a meal. So far, so good. But then the single person expects to be invited to their house twice. <laughs> what is that about? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Right? So you came over, I made you two meals. So now you owe me two meals, so I'm coming twice. Unbelievable. The sad thing is that it's Christians that come up with this stuff. Clearly Christians that haven't read what Jesus said and certainly aren't doing what Jesus said to do. No, no, you give people a meal with no hope of receiving back. It's kind of the way we, we try to function. We've got six children, eight of us. We kind of assume we'll never get invited back. So if we have you over, don't feel pressure, okay? We know having eight people is kind of scary. But, but Jesus is just saying that's the way it should be, right? We just, just give, just be generous, just forgive, just, just lavish your, your, the love of God on other people. And he's giving all this teaching, and it's, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I hear that. I understand that. I get that. He goes on, and, and he talks about um, some pairs, some good and bad stuff. He talks about good and bad eyesight. He gives a couple of stories. He talks about how silly it would be to have a blind person leading a blind person. Because a blind person leading a blind person is probably going to fall into a pit. That's a pretty ridiculous thing to do. So in the same way, you don't want to have people that are spiritually blind leading you spiritually. It's not going to help you. You want people to, who, who lead uh, among God's people to be people that know God, right? And to be people that see and get what's going on. He talks about how ridiculous it is that it's, it's so easy. And you know how it is. It's so easy for me to say, oh, I can spot a problem with you. And I can see a problem with you. And let me tell you how to fix it. And that problem I see is like a tiny little speck in your eye. But what I don't see is this great log in mine that's impairing my vision. Jesus says that's hypocritical. Don't be going around picking out the little details of other people when you've got these great big logs in your eye. He talks about good and bad eyesight. He, he talks then about um, good and bad uh, fruit. Like if you've got a, uh, an apple tree, it's going to bring forth apples. You're not going to suddenly get oranges coming off it. Basic principle, right? A tree gives what it is. And he says, that's what the human heart's like. And so if what's coming out of your mouth is just nasty and cutting and moaning and complaining and critical, it shows there's something wrong on the inside. Because a good tree will bring forth good fruit and a bad tree will bring forth bad fruit. Then he gets to the end of his sermon. He says, okay, here's the thing. There's two men, two builders, a good and a bad one. And for 
a good builder, what that means is that you do what I've told you. And a bad builder, you just hear what I've told you. And I suppose that the challenge that's there for all of us is really kind of simple, isn't it? It it struck me this week, I've heard this before from others, but it really kind of hit home to me this week. My my problem, I'll just personalize it now that I've, I've thought about it, and maybe this is true for you. My problem is not the parts of the Bible I don't know very well. Right? There's some parts that I'm not so familiar with. There's some parts I haven't read in the last you know, little while. Some parts I've never studied properly. Some parts that are a little bit complex. You know, some of the prophets or whatever. You know, that's not our biggest problem. There's some parts that maybe just make our heads spin. Book of Revelation, some people, you know, Ooh, what's going on there? You know, there's, there's, there's different parts of the Bible, maybe some of the complex argument in Romans, and you go, oh, I don't quite track with that. Actually, the problem that we have is not the parts that are difficult, is it? Really, the problem we have is the parts that we do understand, the parts that we do know, the parts that do come to mind, but we still don't do them. That's the real problem. And so it doesn't matter, in a sense, whether you've been a Christian 500 years, 50 years, or five minutes, even if all you know is one verse, how are you doing with that? Because what Jesus is saying in this passage is, really, I'm not excited that you've heard me. I'm not excited that you understand something. I'm not even excited that you believe something. You need to do it. It's all very well having the, the hearing, and yeah, I've heard sermons about that. I've read books about that. I've understood that. I even believe that. That's all very well. But where it all ultimately, where the rubber meets the road is, okay, are you doing it? It'd be like taking a driving test. And at the start, the, you know, the examiner sits next to you. A very scary thing, isn't it, a driving test? The examiner's sitting there with their clipboard, and they go through that little speech at the beginning. Okay, then, Peter, very glad to have you here. And you're, like, not really listening because you're nervous, you know. And then they say, okay, I'd like you to pull away now when you think it's safe to do so. And you say, yeah, I know how to do that. Okay, when, when, you, when you feel ready, go ahead. Yet my, my instructor taught me about pulling away. Right, so I'm going to have you pull away, and um, we're going to take the next available turn on the left. That always used to make me laugh because it's like, okay, there's a... There's a no entry. There it is. Okay. They can give all the instructions in the world. and You can sit there saying, you know it, you believe it, you've heard it as much as you like. You don't pass the test. You just sit there saying, yep, I, yeah, I understood that. Got that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should indicate before I do that. Yep, mirror signal maneuver. Yep, got it. They would get exasperated, right? Because their job is to see, can you drive? And you do not drive by knowing, understanding, hearing, reading, even believing. You drive by doing. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not giving you this teaching to kind of build your knowledge for a Bible quiz. I'm giving you this teaching because I want you to live it. And to live it, you've got to do it. And so what does that look like? Well, it looks like doing it. It looks like making those choices. And those choices are difficult, aren't they? I don't know what sphere maybe comes to mind for you. Maybe I've been dealing with taxes. That's a good laugh. Not taxis. That would be far more interesting. Taxes with an E. Just dealing with, okay, income and, you know, how much has got to be given to the government and so on. It'd be, it's so easy, isn't it? To go, well, fudge this, change that, tweak this. Hang on a second. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Okay. <laughs> got to do it. It could be financial. It could be in the workplace. 
It could be that everybody you work with is stealing, stealing time, stealing resources, breaking the rules, bending the rules, whatever they want to call it. And every time you're there, you think, well, I know that I shouldn't. I believe that I shouldn't. Okay, what are you going to do with that knowledge? The workplace, in the home. I know how I should respond to my spouse. I know how I should speak to my child. I know what I should do. Okay, but what are you going to do? Because Jesus says we've got to do what it is. It's not enough to know. It's not enough to believe. We've got to apply the teaching that the Bible gives to us. In work, in personal finance, in other areas of integrity, in purity. Jesus said if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery in his heart. Yeah, I know that. Okay, what are you doing about that? You see, it's all these different areas of life, and it's so easy for us to kind of put on our Sunday attitude and come to church, and yeah, all is well, you know, and then during the week to live as if it makes no difference, and then come back to church, and all is well. And Jesus says, no, 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 I love you too much to let you just make a mess of your life that way. I want you to know that I'm telling you this stuff so that you do it. Because if you do it, you're building your life on a solid, solid foundation. And so I'm not asking you today to to kind of decide how much you know. I'm sure you know something. What I'm asking you is, are you doing it? Relationally, personally, integrity, morally, purity, uh, workplace, wherever. Are you doing what you know Jesus has told you to do? It's a challenge, isn't it? And I suppose it would be tempting to, to kind of try to squirm out of that, try to get away from that. But rather than do that, I, I'm just going to let that hang and say, come on, Jesus loves you too much. He wants you to do what he says. Let's just pause and, and, and ask him personally, just, just a little quiet moment. Just say, okay, Lord, by your spirit, show me. If there's something that I'm not doing that I should be, just bring it to mind. Let's just have a moment of quiet and, and allow God to... By his spirit, just put his finger on our hearts and go, hey, I love you too much to not let you be aware of this issue. Let's just pause for a second. So there's, what are we supposed to do? Well, what, what Jesus says. Why? If, if that's the instruction, what's the motivation? Why, why are we supposed to do that? Well, look at the passage again. There's actually motivation built in. There's three things built in right here that I think are, are helpful for us. But then there's a fourth that I think is the most important. Let me just run through those before we finish. First motivation here is really verse 48. It's the encouragement of what Jesus is saying here. It's an encouragement because actually I can talk as if we're all, you know, struggling in every area. The reality is we're not. Most of us are struggling in some area, but we're applying in other areas, right? There, there's things that the Bible have, has communicated to us. There's things that we've heard Jesus is teaching. If you've been around church for a while, maybe, you know, you, you, the way you speak or, you know, the swearing's disappearing or the stealing stopping or whatever. There's some, some areas where things are going well. And, and verse 48 is an encouragement. 
It says, hey, you're digging down to get down to the foundation rock. It's worth it. And you probably find that in areas where you're obeying Jesus, where you're doing the right thing, where you you know what the Bible says and you've implemented it in your life and you're doing it, probably you're not seeing massive fruit from it. It's not like you obey on a Monday and on Thursday a check comes through the post, right, with an angelic stamp on it. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would motivate us. No, it's often the case that you do the right thing and other people seem to do better. You do the right thing at work and other people get promoted. Or you do the right thing with your taxes and then you struggle to pay your bills. Or you do the right thing with the relationship and then you end up single. Or you do the right thing. There's all sorts of things that we do that don't seem to bear good consequences. But verse 48 tells us that if you're doing that digging... You're digging down deep and you're getting down to the foundation. You are building your life the right way. And it may not seem like it yet, but when the stream comes against your house, when the flood comes, when the pressure builds to a level that you've never anticipated, then you'll see the benefit of all these little decisions that you've done. So be encouraged. If you're obeying Jesus and trying to please him with the way that you live, he knows that. And ultimately, it does bear fruit. As well as the encouragement, there's also a warning. The warning is verse 49, isn't it? That if you are just building your life without applying what Jesus says, then you're building your house on the soil and everything may look fine. And you may be looking around going, hey, there's no problem here. So what if I'm watching that or doing that or, you know cheating here or lying there. What difference is it making? Because look at my house. It's as beautiful as that guy, and he's working really hard. The warning is that when the stream breaks against it, the fall of that house is going to be immediate. It's going to be devastating. And so there's a warning there. There's a warning that if you build your life cutting corners, cheating here, lying there, just doing the wrong thing in your marriage, doing the wrong thing in your parenting, doing the wrong thing in your interactions, whatever the doing the wrong thing is, if you do that, there may not be immediate fruit or consequences that come from there, but ultimately when the pressure comes and it will come, it'll show that you've built on nothing. There's a warning. We need to heed the warning. There's a motivation in that. Thirdly, there's an explanation in that too. It may be that you're, you're stood in the middle of your life in some area and all around you there's rubble and you've built and it's collapsed and this is the explanation for why. That's actually helpful, right? It's good to know so that you don't just build again the same way. Maybe it's time to rebuild in an area, but build by digging down. That is, do what Jesus says. Love, do good, bless, pray, give, forgive, trust God, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Don't look lustfully on a woman, etc., etc. All the different teaching that you can think of and remember, do that and start to rebuild where there's rubble in your life. That's a wonderful thing. And then you've got the encouragement, and we've come back to that again, the encouragement of doing the right thing, as well as the warning of doing the wrong thing and the explanation for when everything's collapsed. I think that's kind of helpful for me. That's helpful. But there's one more motivation that's not explicit in this paragraph. But I think it's critical that we mention it. It's not the words that Jesus speaks. It's the Jesus that speaks the words. 
You see, if, let's say that you're here today and it's your first time ever in a church and it's the first time ever seeing a Bible. And you're like, what's all the fuss about? Okay, this is interesting. If you're brand new to this, you might think, oh, hey, who's this Jesus guy who comes along and just dumps rules on people? How arrogant is he to say, hey, do what I say and then everything, you know. That's just incredibly arrogant. But you've got to understand that this is the end of chapter 6. This isn't like the whole story of Luke's gospel. This isn't just the, the, Jesus' MO is not to just show up and then drop rules on you and walk away. Actually, what Jesus does is he comes to people and he invites them to know him and to follow him and to spend time with him. And so he's called disciples, these learners who are going to spend time with him and they've spent time watching and observing. They've seen his love and his care, his compassion for hurting people. They've seen the way he handles life and so on. And in the midst of all of that, they're growing to trust him. They're growing to love him. They're leaning in to all that he is for them. And there's this whole relational context in which Jesus can then say, you need to do what I say. A stranger comes up to you and says, you've got to do such and such. At, at, at the best, you ask for some form of identification. Right? That's if you're in a sanctified moment. You say, could I see your ID, please? Clearly, you're a police officer in plain clothes because you're bossing me around. Could you please prove it to me? Actually, most of us would just go and walk away, Right? A complete stranger dropping rules on us. But what if it's someone who's captured our hearts? What if it's someone, maybe, maybe just think in terms of, of, of a, a human relationship. Maybe you've been married 200 years or whatever. But remember right back at the beginning, to begin with it was a stranger, right? This was a, this was a nobody. And then they pretty quickly became a somebody. And then they became the someone. And suddenly you were so open to their influence. Because you loved them and they loved you. And if they said, let's do that, you say, well, let's, let's do that. If they said, I want to go, go there too. And suddenly we'd find our, our lives being shifted and changed because we love this person. Something you never would have done before. Suddenly you're going to visit once a month. Suddenly you're on the phone every day. So, you know, why? Because when the heart is engaged, that person starts to influence us. And that's what Jesus wants for us. If you're sat here today and you're saying, well... Jesus is just a historical figure to me, then I would say to you, don't go away and try to implement all of his teaching as your top priority. That is, that's down the list. The top priority is to get into a relationship with Jesus, to read through the Gospels and see the way he won the hearts of his followers, the way he demonstrated to them who he was and what he was like and how he cared and what he was willing to do and how ultimately in every one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he went all the way to the cross and hung there naked, ashamed, beaten, dying, dead. Why? Not because everything fell apart, but because that was his mission. He came to reveal God's heart to us and he came to rescue us from the judgment that we deserve for all the things that we have done and ever will do wrong. Jesus isn't some kind of stranger that drops rules on us. He's the loving God who dies for us. And I think once you see who he is, you start to listen to what he says. And once you, you see who he is to you, you start to want to do what he asks of you. The same thing's true in the Old Testament. Remember the Ten Commandments? 
The Ten Commandments were given by God to Israel. When? After he'd revealed himself to them. After he'd rescued them out of Egypt. After he'd done so much for them. Then he said, okay, I've proven that I love you. Here's what I want you to do because I love you. Here are my instructions because I value you. And yet so often what we do in church world is we just make people feel guilty by piling on the Ten Commandments and piling on the Jesus instructions without giving people a chance to know Jesus. Without introducing them to a God who loves them so much that he's willing to die in their place on the cross and stretch out his arms in agony and go through all that Jesus went through in order to bring us into relationship with him. And once we're in relationship with him, guess what we start saying? Okay, Lord, what next? Lord, Lord, I love you. You're the Lord. I want to do what you want me to do. I, I, I know that this is, this is awkward, but I love you too much to not obey you. It's part of the Christian experience is to be so captured by the love of God that there are moments where you feel absolutely torn, where, where there's a, a huge part of you that says, no, I don't want to do this, but I do love Jesus. And I know that he loves me. And so, ah, oh, I'm going to do what he says. And sometimes those are massive kind of heart-rending moments. Maybe ending a relationship where you think, oh, but, but what if, you know, what next? Who, who else? Oh, Lord, what? Okay, but I know that you want me to finish this. There, there are moments like that that are absolute heartbreakers. But we, we face them and we say, okay, but I know that he loves me. And I love him. And Lord, I'm going to obey. And I believe that you're worth it. And with tears pouring down our face, we'll say, okay, Lord, next step. And then there'll be other moments every single day where there's no tears, there's no heart rending. It's just little decisions. Will I tell the truth or will I lie? Will I steal or will I pay? Will I cheat or will I not cheat? Will I react or will I not react? Will I take revenge? Will I not take revenge? Will I moan and complain or will I be grateful? Just little decisions day after day, moment after moment. And the ultimate motivation for all of them is not really kind of what kind of foundation am I wanting to build. No, the ultimate motivation is who was it that said that again? Oh, that's right. It's Jesus, the one who died for me. Because he died for me, I, I want to do the right thing moment by moment. And when I get it wrong, Lord, I'm sorry, I blew it. Will you forgive me? Thank you. Okay, I want to do the right thing. And that's the Christian life. It's not a one-time decision that fixes everything. It's an ongoing decision to say, you know what? It's tempting to hear and to read and to know and to understand and to believe and to think that's enough. But Jesus says, no, that is to be a fool. That is to build your house on soil. If you want to be wise, if you don't want to be foolish, if you don't want to be crazy, then do what I say. Don't have to go hunting for something obscure. Just read a bit and go, okay, Lord, help me to do that. It won't take you long to find things. If you're reading through the Gospels, it won't take you long to find things that you need to do during the day ahead of you. But because of who he is, you can do it. Because of who he is, you can be motivated to do that. 
I want to encourage you. We're going to look at these five parables, and I think they're going to, they're going to, they're going to hit us. They're going to hit us in, in kind of the, the real-life part of ourselves. They're going to kind of uh, strike us there. I want to encourage you, don't just read the five parables. I'd encourage you to read a gospel. If you're not reading anything else in the Bible right now, take one of the Gospels. It could be Luke, it could be Mark, Matthew, or John. They're all from God. You just take whichever one you want and read it. And as you read it, say, Lord, I want to get to know you better so that I can live better for you. Because ultimately, that's where it comes from. It comes from our relationship with him. It comes from our response to his love for us, living our lives day by day in response to the one who didn't just know what needed to be done, but he went all the way to the cross and did it for us. 